0: In the fall each year we all congregate, the found all gathered at the church of getting The scriptures reading from the book of Munson, our favorite verse, my God of precious. Drunk and obnoxious, notches well, Georgia faith,
1: ain't enough to find her in the lane. Now the three thousand of our best friends, it's Saturday and that thing. Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, and we are just delighted today to be joined by ESPN's Laura Rutledge. Laura is the host of NFL Live and SEC Nation, and she is a proud University of Florida graduate, which we will do our best today not to hold against her as a Georgia show. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Laura. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for having me. And listen, I mean, the Florida thing is real, right? Uh, I got to wear that proudly, but I do love Georgia, too. And Kirby Smart gives me all kinds of crap for it all the time. He's always like, I'm not telling you anything because you're a gator. But he also (laughs) knows that I love Georgia and and have had the great pleasure of covering Georgia through some really fun championship years these last couple of years. So um, it's it's really been a blast to watch the program grow.
1: Yeah, so I want to start with a little bit of your story, and then we're going to dive into some college football. And speaking of your heritage as a Gator, I find one of the most compelling pieces of your story is not one that I think gets enough spread across the loudspeakers enough, and that is that you were uh, you were quite the ballerina in your day. Is that correct?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you. I I miss ballet every day. Uh, I was very serious ballet dancer, not quite good enough to be at the principal American ballet theater, San Francisco ballet level. But um, I I did it, you know, my whole life basically up until, I guess the, the last time I really did a performance was when I was 24 years old. Um, but I thought that was going to be my job. So studied abroad in China in high school and I went to a ballet boarding school in Washington, D.C. after that at the very end of high school. Um, and then just something hit me kind of in the summer between my senior year of high school and then, you know, what would ultimately become my freshman year of college where I thought I'd be pursuing ballet and I just realized, no, I I need to go get a college education. And, um, my parents were thrilled. They were, they were really trying to let me kind of figure it out myself and then like, Oh, please go to college, you know? So (laughs) it it ended up being that I really kind of flipped a coin between Florida and Florida state. And, um, I ended up choosing Florida and, you know, it was a great decision for me now looking back, it it certainly led to my career and has made a lot of sense. But there was a very real possibility that I was gonna try to be a professional ballerina instead. So I'm I'm glad I didn't do that. But I like I said, I do miss dance all the time.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I think things have worked out just fine for you on that front. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you make your way to Gainesville and start at Florida. And my understanding is one of your first stops once you got on campus was to head to the campus radio station and see what openings they had.
0: Yeah. It's actually funny. It relates to ballet. I, I was in a position where, you know, I had given up ballet and I, I had done it for every day of my life as long as I could remember. So I really missed it. So at Florida they had ballet classes as part as an option, you know, you could take. And so I was just signing up for all these ballet classes and, uh, did not necessarily realize that my academic scholarship that I came in with was going toward paying for the ballet classes. So it was like, come on, girl. You know, my parents are, are looking at the thing and they're saying, well, wait a second. Why why do you not have scholarship money for your regular classes left? And uh, it came down to I needed to find a job um, to help pay for some of that stuff. And so somebody that I knew said, well, you should go check out the on-campus radio station. And and I went there. It's WRUF am eight fifty. It's now an ESPN affiliate, ironically enough. Um, And I said, well, I thought I would do something in news. I I grew up listening to radio. I love storytelling and all that. And they said, well, we have an opening for an internship, but it's in sports. And I didn't even think. I just said, yes, I'll do it. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't know anything, and I'm going to have to learn this from the ground up. But I-, I loved the challenge of it. And, of course, I was at Florida during a great time uh, when it comes to winning championships in a variety of different sports. So I started out really covering volleyball, softball, um, you know, a variety of different basketball, all all these different sports, and then kind of worked my way up to football. So I was able to cover a national championship as a sophomore in college, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And I think the unique part about your story, too, is it's not like you were doing a show at 2 in the afternoon. Weren't you starting your day like 4 a.m. for these shows?
0: (laughs) Oh, my god! Well, those were my younger days, Seth. You know, I I (laughs) would, like, not sleep, I guess. And I'd be up at 2.45 to get there for the morning show. And I did that pretty much every day of the week. So... Um, now I'm, I'm, you know, newborn life and toddler life. I'm probably averaging about the same amount of sleep, but it's affecting (laughs) me a lot worse than it did then.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my wife and I have four and I feel like it's, it's akin to being hung over without getting to have any of the cocktails Uh (laughs) to get you there. Like
0: where's the fun? There's not a lot of fun. We're I mean, it's a blessing, but, um, you're not getting the fun that you would have for the feelings that you get the next day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, what I find interesting about that is, is I feel like most 18, 19-year-olds when they're in college wouldn't be pursuing a craft that involves that type of sacrifice. And yeah. I, I I found it interesting reading your story that how much do you think your ballet background played into that from a discipline perspective, from a work perspective, from putting in the reps to uh, pursue a path?
0: Thank you for saying that. I, I do think that Being somebody who was so used to the structure and the perfectionism of ballet and then also the discipline it required, to your point, I didn't really know what to do with myself if I didn't have something like that that I was working toward and working toward a goal you know, has always been something that's really been a big motivator for me. And I think too, you know, to get a little nitty gritty on it, if you look back during that time, it was like 2011 to 2000 or 2007 to 2011, the economy was really bad. I felt a ton of pressure because I thought I cannot leave college without some sort of career where I can provide for myself. And um, I, I, I knew that you know, that was going to be my goal, no matter what it was going to take to get there. And so I thought, whatever's in my control while I'm in school, and um, even if it means sacrificing the college experience and all that, which I did, I I look back and I'm like, man, you know, I could have had more fun. But anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's all a trade off, right? Uh, But, you know, I, I did feel like, okay, I'm gonna have to figure this out now and try everything I can to sort of get to the point where I can leave with a career. But the frustrating thing, and I, I tell this to young people all the time who are trying to get into this business or really any business, I, for the life of me, could not get an internship at any of the big name places. I mean, I tried for Fox, ESPN, ABC, you name it. I was trying all the places. I was sending all these emails. I was applying to everything. And it was very frustrating because I thought maybe I really don't have a future in this. And, and this is a, a really telling thing that I can't seem to even just get an internship at these places. And so it ended up forcing me into more of the local route while I was in college. And I I would do a variety of things, including my uh, niche was kind of in college football recruiting, which really exposed me to the scouting side of football. And I've I've been able to rely on that a ton. But um, the point in that being that, you know, looking back, I realized that getting the experience I got at smaller places was probably why I was able to launch myself into the actual workforce a little bit quicker than otherwise. So there's always you know, a reason why you don't get some things and why some doors are closed. And I've at times been so frustrated by that in my career and in my life, but it's always been proven, um, why it would happen that way. And, and, you know, it's like, okay, God has a better plan than anything I could have ever come up with. And I've seen that time and time again. in, in my relatively young career, um, of the last 10 or so years.
1: I want you to flesh out the recruiting angle a little bit because I thought that was a fascinating piece of your story that while you're doing the radio side of it, you start doing it. Scout.com is who you're writing for. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And you start doing football recruiting work for them. And then that leaks into doing baseball recruiting work, basketball recruiting work, um, all things that you've covered. And at the time were you thinking, Hey, this is going to be foundational and kind of be a leaping off point for the things I'll eventually get to do in my career, or it was just like, you know what, this is the next hustle, I'm going to do the work and we'll see where it goes.
0: It was kind of a mixture of the two. Um, but I, the, my radio boss at Florida had said, Look, which I, I appreciate this honesty now, but he said, Look, you know, you're not going to stand out. Over anybody else, you didn't play a sport. You don't have anything else that you're bringing to the table other than the fact that you're just here and you're working hard. But you know that's not going to be enough. So he said you need to find a niche in something. And I was looking around the landscape, and we had a a high school football show that was kind of in the afternoon of the programming called the Cheap Seats. So I was on that show some, and I thought, all right, a lot of the focus there is football recruiting, and and at that time. Anybody who was around in those old days, you know, <laughs> 2008 <laughs> to 2010, yeah. it was really a time when college football recruiting subscription sites were booming. And there's still an appetite for this. But as we all know, the college football landscape and even the high school landscape has changed so much. We could have never even fathomed what it would look like now. Yeah. Uh, but that was when you really were going to some of those scout.coms and the rivals.coms to, to see who your team was going to get. And. What? how many stars are we going to have? And it was the evaluation process, but also the interviews and the top five that the the guys would have and all that. So I I realized there was not much of a female presence in it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make this my niche. And that was much easier said than done, because then I was like, well, shoot, I got to learn this, you know, and it was it's a whole world. And um, covering the state of Florida, I, I eventually by the time I was in the latter part of college, I covered the entire southeast. So I would go and um, travel, I would drive. my My big trick was I would sleep in. I would park my car in car dealerships and sleep in the car in a dealership because no one would notice like a random car parked in a dealership. <laughs> uh, it, it would be very sketchy at a gas station or something. So, so I learned that. So I would do that because a lot of times I'd just be driving overnight to get to all the different high school games and to get back um, to cover Florida on Saturdays for the college games. So anyway, it was it was a time of a lot of hard work. And um, and really a grind because I realized that the only way I was going to learn it was if I applied myself and actually did it, you know, which certainly makes sense on, um, the most obvious level, but I needed to go out there and figure out what these seven on seven camps were and all that. And I, 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 would just ask a million questions. I probably annoyed people. Cause I'd be like, "Okay, hey, well, what are you doing here? And what's this and what's that? And, um, you know, learning football in that way, from the scouting side, I think presents a much more unique and thorough understanding of the game. Um, And so being somebody that I've always said, look, I didn't play the game. I'm I'm here to be almost a fan of the game and to tell the stories from that standpoint, but also to evaluate it in the way that I can. As someone who didn't play it, but knows a lot about it. And so um, this was a way where, you know, I think a lot of that foundation was set to your point um, in your question. I, I, I learned a ton from that time.
1: I think the car dealership story is like top five story that we've gotten on the show. That's I'm just such
0: a weirdo. No, that is I that is like,
1: outstanding because I. Well, admit- have
0: You know, you got to think they have security cameras or something. They're like, who is this sketchball pulling in, <laughs> you know, and park in the car? They probably thought something was really wrong with me. But um, anyway, it, it no one got me on it. You know, I just did it. And then I would just. Pull on out, you know, before anybody would get to work the next day.
1: (laughs) Well, while I find humor in it, I also respect the hustle and the grind of it, though, because you're just trying to figure it out and make a path. And I feel like in some ways that's missing in a lot of vocations now. And I think people like, for example, with your story. okay, this is why I found your story so interesting. Everybody sees you on the desk at NFL Live, on the desk at SEC Nation. They say, oh, you know, Laura's this huge success and she's had such an easy path, right? The reality is there's all this grind. There's all this work. There's all this stuff you did when nobody was watching. There were no cameras there. And that's the piece of the story we always love hearing from people, especially people that are chasing down a big dream, because that's what makes it work, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I love that. I love that, that part of your story. So, so thank you for sharing that with us. And so then tell us what the path is from there. So you're doing the recruiting work for scout.com. You're on the radio. And I understand that leads to a call from the folks at Fox, which then opens some doors for you down the road. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah. um, Some Fox executives were driving through Gainesville. And I mean, this is another thing where if somebody told me this story, I would say you made that up and then you're lying. That didn't happen. But it happened to me. So it's <laughs> true. And, and I do think it's one of these things where, you know, a lot of times we think no one's watching or we think the the work that we're doing is fruitless and it doesn't really matter and it's not gonna ever affect anything long term. And um I've always reminded myself of this story that did happen to me because I think it's a good reminder that somebody might be paying attention and you don't realize and, and it may pay off. Um so anyway, they called the station and it was actually funny. My a couple of the guys that worked at the station were like, hey, you know, Fox Sports is on the phone for you. And I was like, that's a really mean joke, guys, because you know <laughs> that I'm trying to, like, figure out what my job's going to be. And they're like, no, seriously. And so I answered the phone. And I was like, hello. <laughs> because I thought it was a joke. And they they were like, you know, this is such and such. And I'm like, oh, no. OK, this is actually real. I, I apologize for how I answered the phone. Um, anyway, that led to doing a lot more uh, recruiting coverage, they were actually looking for somebody to host a on, on the recruiting trail type show that at that time they had on on Fox. And so I did that. And I mean, that was some of my first live TV experience. I had no idea what I was doing, which was hilarious. And I look back and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how did they even invite me back after that? But I didn't know a lot about recruiting. <laughs> so it must have been the knowledge, you know, they got me back. I did not know how to do TV. Um, uh, but then, you know, from there it kind of opened up and, um, I got opportunities with the Tampa Bay Rays. So I was doing that actually my spring of my senior year of college, I was going back and forth between Gainesville and Tampa Bay and, and covering the Rays home games. And then I would go back and like, try to make it in time for my morning class the next day. And, um, then from there got an opportunity with the San Diego Padres. So I did that for a year in 2013 and then, That was around the time when I heard that the SEC network was going to be starting because, of course, it launched in 2014. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I had done a lot even for Fox College Sports by that point of Big 12 coverage and Pac-12 coverage. I'd kind of been all over the country with these other conferences that were not the SEC. But as we know, my heart and soul's in the SEC. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if I could just have anything to do with this SEC network, you know, I've got to figure this out. So I sent probably 27 emails to all these different people. I'm like, anybody who's got you know ESPN in the last part of their email, I'm like
1: <laughs> emailing them.
0: And they're probably like, who is this crazy girl? Um, but finally, I got this one person to email me back and ended up leading to – a meeting two weeks before the network was launching in the Atlanta airport of all places. So I thought that got no shot at this. I was actually freelancing at the time at CNN because I thought that's going to be my only choice. And of course they didn't really want to do sports. So it was like I would show up, you know, and then maybe there'd be a sports story and they'd throw me on. But um, anyway, I somehow did this interview in the Atlanta airport and got the job as the second reporter on the SEC Network games, so there, you know, they had three games. So I did like the middle game, and from there, you know, just uh, have have slowly and surely, I guess, tried to work my way up at ESPN. But of course, always keeping my roots in the SEC, and really thankful for that. And um, you know, certainly thankful for another year on SEC Nation.
1: Now, when you got the job with SEC Nation, were you based out of Charlotte then, or were you still based out of Atlanta? Like, what did that look like?
0: Yeah, so I when I started at SEC Network, I was still based in Atlanta, and then um, ended up getting a kind of a daily hosting SEC Now job in conjunction with SEC Nation. So that was when I went to Charlotte. But at the time, my husband was playing for the Red Sox, so Josh was like up in boston and i had this little apartment in charlotte i didn't even have a bed <laughs> i just slept on a mattress that whole time so it's funny because people i don't know if people think this but people might be like oh the glamorous life of tv and i'm like yeah. nah, it's not that glamorous I'm, I'm very thankful for it but it, it was not like that you know i was i was literally sleeping on the floor um which was probably my own fault but anyway so i did that for a couple of years in charlotte and then um from there, just continue to get some opportunities filling in on SportsCenter in Connecticut and um, doing a variety of things like that. And that was what ultimately led to the opportunity to be on Get Up with Mike Greenberg, which I did for a total of a couple of years um, in like the 2018-2019 range into 2020. Pandemic happens and we actually moved back to Alabama for a little bit. And then Out of that was born a revamp of NFL Live, which is why then we moved to Connecticut, and um, that's where we've been ever since. And I've still continued to, you know, thankfully be able to keep a foot in college football, and um, that's been really important to me.
1: Yes, I will say selfishly for us as fans, I was nervous when they announced the NFL Live that that meant you were (laughs) going to transition away from the desk on SEC Nation, because I just think the synergy on the SEC Nation desk works great, but then the beauty of that has been Boy, the NFL live team works great too. And I just think that the teamwork on both of those is, is really good. It's not, it's one of those things where I feel like you can't fake chemistry, right? And nope. those, <laughs> those, those groups just work really well together. Yeah. And what has been, I guess, The biggest lesson from a stretch perspective, and what I mean by that is you have kept escalating up in your career with different opportunities and with those come different challenges. I know there had to be fear involved in some of those. How do you get past that, get past of any maybe imposter syndrome that we all feel and um, escalate and keep doing the things that you were doing?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question because I feel like that's something that I struggle with daily, if I'm being completely honest. And um, you know, I'm somebody that's a, a big over preparer. I like to say, I have researched this thing, I have made all the calls, I've done all the interviews, I've watched the film, I've done all these things, and um that's still how I prepare, but I had to accept that with you know, covering the NFL five days a week and, and then other days too, doing sideline for Monday night football occasionally and things like that. And then the college side, too, I had to accept that I couldn't put in the same prep that I would put in when I just had one game a week. And that was all I did. And that felt like a lot, you know, and I was like, man, that was big. And, and now this is so much more. Um, and, and what I found in it, and I, like I said, I really struggle with this daily. So I hope people wouldn't hear this and say, like, oh, she's got it all figured out. I really try to trust myself more and say, okay, it's almost like positive self-talk. You know this stuff. You've been talking about this. Yes, you can look up some more stats to back it up, or you can try a unique angle to change things up, or you can you know, ask somebody for an interview with this person in college football just to get a different type perspective. But at the end of the day, if you had to just pop on there with no prep, you know it. Um, So that's one thing. And then the other thing that I found is is something that I've tried to get better at is admitting that I don't know. And at times, even on live television, which is really scary, being like, you know what, guys, I goofed on that. And I'm not going to make a habit of it. And you guys deserve better at home. You know, I'm going to be better. And and just almost like that humanity of it all where I don't think anyone – no one's perfect. And so I don't think anyone actually thinks that we should be perfect. But sometimes the worst thing you can do is act like you are perfect and you're not wrong. And I've made these mistakes before where I would have made a, an error on television, even tried to, like, back it up and be like, no, I was right. <laughs> I'm like, no, definitely not right. You know, and I think it's better to just admit that. And um and carry on that way. So those are kind of like the bigger picture things. And then the other thing that's happened, you know, and having kids, and and I'm sure you can relate to this, it does put everything into perspective. So I yeah. think it's been a blessing for me, whereas I was so worried that I was going to lose my career over it, which is so sad to think about, because um, it's just been the absolute opposite of that. I think it's made me better. It's made me better on television. It's made me a better teammate. It's made me a better person, um, which I'm so thankful to my little ones for giving me that gift, yeah, because I would have never been who I am if, if not for them, and, and that's ever changing and evolving. And um, what an amazing journey to be on as a human being. So I'm I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And I think looking back, you know, nothing feels like it's that important anymore. Right. It's like we're right. just doing TV and we're just talking sports. And while I care so deeply about it, it's not the most important thing. So that that's been. Um, a big help in however you want to call this journey, climb, whatever it is, (laughs) it's it's really helped to have them.
1: That's a really interesting point because I have found my own path that kids have been the ultimate tether point Mm. because a, they're the ultimate humbler. It doesn't Mm. matter how important you think you are. You come home and you know, they're (laughs) they're wanting you to get on the ground and and play Zingo is the game of choice with my, my twins right now or whatever it may be. Right. And so, it kind of puts in perspective that the stuff that we put a lot of weight on at the end of the day, it just, it's not as big as we want it to be. Right. And the things at home are the things that are always going to be paramount. But so, yeah, I I love that. I I do think kids are such a a big part of that and and such a blessing in that piece of the story. Now you brought up Josh. We love a love story on this show. So (laughs) tell us, tell us the origin story of Mr. And Mrs. Rutledge.
0: Yeah, so um, our story is so funny because it's so like college football, you know, which which I think we both uh, lean into and love, but. Uh, if you go all the way back to 2011, which was the first game of the century between Alabama and LSU and Tuscaloosa, yeah. at the time I was I had a few different jobs, as we've kind of talked about, but I was doing like some tailgate pieces for Scout.com and for Fox Sports, and they wanted to use them online and all that. So, of course, this was the game to be at for the tailgates, right? Yeah. So I got there, and uh, one of my friends who... I knew who was going to be there was like, oh, well, you need to come to the Alabama baseball tailgate because that'll be some great fanfare and all that. And I'm like, mm, that's probably the last thing I want to do. I do not want to go to the <laughs> Alabama baseball tailgate. But I'm like, OK, sure. You know, we actually needed some more stuff for, for the piece. So I thought, all right, fine. So we get there and I, I saw him out of the corner of my eye and I was like, golly, this guy looks like Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, what? who is this person? You know. <laughs> And somebody ended up introducing us uh, and they said, oh, yeah, but, you know, he's just a really big deal in Tuscaloosa. And I was like, OK, well, that's really not attractive. So I think I'm just done talking to this guy. And, and I was like, <laughs> I'm working anyway, whatever. So all this to say that, you know, that night was kind of that day and night. I, I saw him like a few times as, as the night carried on. But that was it. So then the next week I was back in Birmingham doing some high school football recruiting Um, I was going to Hoover High School and some of the places looking at some players and whatever. And I went into the Zoe's kitchen. Uh, If anybody knows that area, it's like right (laughs) near the Galleria and the the Zoe's kitchen there. So I go in and he was in there and everyone's like, oh, was he stalking you? And I'm like, no, no, if anything, it would be me stalking him. But I was not. (laughs) And it was just like a total God thing where we ended up in the same place. And um, so we, we were like, Oh, okay, well, I guess we better sit down and talk to each other is kind of awkward. And, uh, but then, you know, I always say, like, it was that one meal. And after that, it was like, Oh, yeah, we, we were totally just going to get married and be together forever. I mean, he is, he is everything good and wonderful. And he's such a, a wonderful husband, but an amazing dad. Um, and I think back to you know, how young we were then because we were very young. We were 24 when we got married in 2013. Um, so, you know, even even by the time we got married, we were really young. But we've been really fortunate to kind of grow together and to go through all of these things in life. He's a professional baseball player, ended up retiring. And so kind of like watching him go into his new career choices and him supporting my career and all this, it, it's been a really, really fun journey with him and we're actually coming up on our tenth wedding anniversary in December. So <laughs> we're both like, oh my God, now we're really old. We get ten years married. How did that happen? But um but no, he's he's wonderful. And um we always we always have a special place in our heart for Alabama LSU every year because of that that being how we met.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, first off, happy anniversary, early anniversary, (laughs) 10 years is outstanding. And I know, um, with kids, it presents different challenges, but it also makes it, I feel like holier and more beautiful. And, uh, yeah, so that's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and so I have to ask this as a follow-up, then what is the household like on the days that, the Crimson Tide and the Gators line up against each other. I
0: mean, Seth, the problem is Florida has not been very good for a while, as you well know. Uh, so I don't have a whole lot of space to be talking smack. And, and really, what <laughs> happens is like I'll sort of cheer for Florida for a little bit. And then it's like, okay, forget that. You know, Alabama's just stomping them down. Um, and the, the bad thing is, you know, our daughter Reese, who does her helmet picks and she's very interested in college football, she She is always walking around saying roll tide. And I'm like, who taught her this? Because (laughs) it wasn't me. So she also loves Georgia though, which is really funny because not, you know, you would think in our household, like saying go dogs would probably be bad for both of us because I'm Florida and, and Josh is Alabama. And she will do it all the time. I mean, she'll just out in the bush be like, go dogs. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Love that. But she knows that she's been right. She's picked Georgia a lot and she picked him to win. She picked him to win the national championship. She picked him a bunch of times. And she's been right both times on the national championships. And, uh, so she knows, like I, at any time we're always like, all right, Reese, well you were right. It was go dogs. And she's like, <laughs> I no, I told her so. It's actually funny. Cause there have been a couple of times when Kirby smarts asked me who she picked. And then there've been times when he doesn't want to know because um, if he knows, then and and like he's scared <laughs> that maybe she doesn't pick Georgia. So yeah. he's like, don't even tell me if she didn't pick us. But
1: <laughs> it, that it sounds to me then that, that Kirby may be a little like Julian Edelman, where he's not superstitious, but he's a little stitious.
0: Little stitious, yeah,
1: yeah totally. Yeah. Oh,
0: oh, he might actually be superstitious. To be yeah. honest,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, that's 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 just outstanding. Well, wow. fantastic. Well, then Saturday Athens podcast is Team Reese all the way. Then if she's on the Go Dogs train, we're for that. <laughs> okay. Um, So we were at SEC Media Days this year, and they made the announcement of where SEC Nation will be week one. Two cool locations, I think. So starting the year in Columbia, Missouri for South Dakota and Mizzou. Coyote's making a trip to Columbia uh, to start the year. Maybe get a little Shakespeare's Pizza stop in there somewhere.
0: Gotta do it.
1: Yeah. And then you guys will be in Nashville for UVA, Tennessee. And which could be my favorite quarterback name matchup of the early season. Um, UVA has a transfer named Tony Musket. Like, is could there be a better it's, name for a quarterback? It's so good. It's so it's good. So <laughs> so
0: good. Virginia. The only better thing would be if he was at West Virginia. But anyway. Yeah.
1: Yes. Oh, that would be – I think he'd have to pull double duty and be right. the be the Mountaineer in addition huh? to playing quarterback. So, yeah. So I love that. So you've got Tony Muskett and Bazooka Joe hopefully going against each other. Um, but we're, we're always interested in this because we love college towns in general and it's obviously have a, a soft spot in our heart for SEC towns outside of Gainesville. And I'm assuming Tuscaloosa, too, since that's Josh's alma mater. What are the towns you look forward to going into the most?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not just saying this because we're on Saturday in Athens. Um, I do love Athens. It's one of my favorite spots the food is kind of what i base everything off of so mm-hmm. you got mama's boy which is excellent we we're always trying to get mama's boy for breakfast on saturday mornings sometimes it's too early cuz we start real early on a FCC yeah. nation morning but love that and then of course the friday night dinner spots are so good i'm trying mm-hmm. i'm blanking on this oyster place that that we it's relatively new and we've been going there it's kind of like down the way a little bit not on like the main drag in athens but anyway that place is great we love going to athens the atmosphere is incredible jittery joe's coffee you got to get some oh, of yeah. that yep so many good spots so i've got all my little spots that i go to in athens and then i love baton rouge because yeah it It's just, it's so unique. There's such a culture to it. And, you know, I know there are people who are like, oh, LSU fans are crazy. And I'm like, yeah, they are. But that's what makes it great. Um, And I find that their hospitality is wonderful. And their food is also exceptional. So um, those would be some good ones. And then I'd throw Knoxville in there too. Knoxville is a sneaky, like, foodie town, which I think people don't realize that until you actually go there and enjoy it, but um, excellent food and just a whole ton of fanfare there, too, and sometimes, you know, if you go there at a certain point in the fall, it can feel like you've gone almost to New England or or somewhere in the mountains, because it really kind of is, you know, so it's a little bit different than some of our, you know, deep south type uh, destinations that we go, but... Oh, my goodness. I love all of them for different reasons. I mean, they they really are all so much fun. And um, every fan base has its own unique, wonderful qualities to it.
1: Yeah, we have – my brother and I have been going to games together for 20 years. And we're trying now to hit every different road game – so every different road stadium just because I think the regionalism and the towns I think is one of the beauties of college football. And so yeah. to, to your point, they all have – each their their je ne sais quoi right that is like oh, awesome yeah. oh, I Love that. and so yeah, yeah I, I i that's that's my favorite part i love a i love a college football road trip and, and doing that so um yeah and you're right about athens i mean we always ask folks like if they went to uga we ask them on the show like if you were going to be back in athens for one day what's the one meal you have to have and people are like oh no i can't like pick a place
0: <laughs> i know there's too many good spots i mean um What's the one that has Island in the name? It's a dinner spot. Um, that oh. place is really good. <laughs> I always so like they,
1: the popular ones that we get are Last Resort Grill is a big one.
0: Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Last yeah. Resort.
1: Super good. And then like they have the island, but, they have yeah. Cecilia's desserts there to get, which is like best bakery in town. So and good. like. Oh gosh, it's just it's outstanding. Like you can close I your eyes and then here. we, put we your can arms never out. get a
0: reservation there, though. We're always like, golly, did anyone call Last Resort? Because they're <laughs> we're screwed. We're not getting in.
1: All right, memo to memo to the folks at Last Resort. Please let Laura in whenever she's trying to eat there. I'll folks.
0: come by myself. I yes. don't need to bring a whole bunch of people. I'll just come in there myself and eat. So that's right. Let's <laughs> get her a plate <laughs> of
1: that praline chicken and some Cecilia's cake oh, and get her set so up just good. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so speaking of the. Season upcoming. What are coaches poll released this week? Uh, I don't think anybody was really surprised about a lot of those things. Um, I want to ask you a couple things. Number one, who is the team this year that you are most interested to see? Maybe the team that has the most compelling storyline for you. It doesn't have to be in the SEC, but anywhere across the college football landscape.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many, especially with all the realignment talk and just kind of thinking about this being the last of what we've always known in a lot of ways, even though it's Mm -hmm. already changed a ton. Uh, But I would actually say South Carolina because I think seeing what Shane Beamer does after they finish the season as well as they did and uh, being a team that has an opportunity in the SEC East to be right up there. They're not better than Georgia. They're not going to beat Georgia. But still just being competitive like that um, and having a a quarterback in Spencer Rattler who's fascinating and can have some of the best games that you've seen. I mean, we've seen it, right? We've seen him clicking on all cylinders. I'm not sure – uh, anybody's going to have a game like that again when it's just like the ball didn't even hit the ground ever. And then we've seen the opposite of that, where he can turn the football over um, right and left. So I I'm fascinated to see kind of what they do. I, I think there's a huge momentum for them, and it's interesting because you know you look at the rest of the SEC East. If we just kind of focus in on them for a minute, and you know Tennessee's in a unique spot. They they looked good last year, but. Are they able to follow up on that? There has been a lot of negative things surrounding Tennessee lately. How do they kind of change that narrative with their play on the field? Uh, Georgia's going to be king in the East and probably king of the SEC in college football for a while. But all these teams under him are kind of jockeying. Florida's got a long way to go to get anywhere near what some of these other groups are doing. And, and now, you know, in this day and age of college football, you can make a leap on teams so quick in the transfer yeah. portal and with NIL and all that. So, um, I am interested to see who really takes advantage of that. Kentucky's another team, too, that you know Kentucky fans feel really disrespected because people always pick South Carolina to finish ahead of them and some of these other teams to finish ahead of them. And they're like, yeah, wait a second, you know, we're going to have to show you again what we're capable of. Their mm-hmm. schedule's pretty favorable. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I'm, I'm fascinated by the East in a lot of ways. But South Carolina, I think, sticks out to me. They got a big chance, too, week one right off the bat.
1: I love that you mentioned Kentucky in this conversation, because is there, and maybe there are, maybe this is a little hyperbole, but I just feel like he doesn't get the due that he should. Is there a more underrated college football coach in America than Mark Stoops?
0: Dude, I th- he might be it. And and you think about how many people wanted him fired. and Yeah. You know, Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director there, thankfully stood by him and said, no, we're, we're going to continue on with him. We're going to let him keep doing what he's doing. And, you know, it's this is no knock against Kentucky, no knock against Lexington. But it's not the same recruiting there as it would be recruiting in Athens or Tuscaloosa yep. or some of these spots in Ohio State and uh, Michigan and wherever else, Texas, you know. So uh, they have not had – the same level of play and level of player that you would see across the the Southeastern conference. And yet they've been able to do so much with those guys. And, you know, you think back a, a few years ago now, it's been um, when they really kind of started to get on more of a role with the 10 win season. And they had mm-hmm. Josh Allen and Benny Snell and uh, big name guys who ultimately got drafted really high and are having great success at the NFL level those guys didn't come in as five-star players. You know, they came right. in and they were developed. And so I think to your point, it it really lends itself to the credibility and the coaching of Mark Stoops and, and the way that he's been able to bring in good guys to, to coach there. I mean, Liam Cohen is an NFL name coming in as an offensive coordinator there again, yep. coming back. Um, so I do think it's an ideal place if you're a quarterback to go in, and work with Liam Cohen. And I think that's you know, going to be interesting to see how how they look offensively too without those kind of bell cow running backs this year. They're going to have to do it more by committee. But better receiving core, I expect them to throw the ball a lot with the quarterback they've got. So, it'll, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they – but he is – Stoops is so underrated and does not get enough credit at all.
1: Yeah, I feel like given to that – and what's the elephant in the room with that program? It, it's a basketball school. It doesn't yeah. matter how good Kentucky football is. They're going to be asking about basketball season. So, to do what he's done – Amidst that culture, I I never cease to be amazed by it. I I, I just don't think he gets the do that he deserves to to make Kentucky a football relevant school. I it, it's amazing. So yeah yeah I, I think so. Well I tell you the team for me too. I'm interested to hear your opinion on this as well. Is Wisconsin for me? Mm. Look not just the transition to Luke Fickle, but they bring in Tanner Mordecai, they bring in Coach Longo. They're gonna they're gonna run and shoot it. So it's not going to be your mama's Wisconsin. It ain't even going to be your sister's Wisconsin. I mean, it's going to be a whole new Wisconsin where they're flinging it and they are, you know, Luke fickles, a culture guy. He's turning the culture over there. I, they're a fascinating case for me within that big 10 picture about whether they can challenge that, that those big two dogs, the top Michigan and Ohio state. So I, Taylor yeah, Mordecai, like, for me, could be an X factor, I think, in that conference.
0: I love him, and I really like Coach Fickle, too, as a fit for that program. You mentioned the culture. I think he can turn that around real quick. I mean, we mm-hmm. saw him certainly do it at Cincinnati. We saw what he's done across the board in college football. His familiarity with Ohio State is interesting. He's just going to have – I think, an inside track on making a real impact in improving Wisconsin's chances in the Big Ten overall, but also just kind of making them more relevant again in college football, which college football is better. I firmly believe if some of those kind of Big Ten powerhouses in the past, like Wisconsin, like Nebraska, certainly Ohio State, Michigan, but some of those others are really relevant. It just makes the sport better.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, in general, when, when the conferences have more parity, the sport feels stronger. Uh, it makes those those weekend matchups better. I, I'm always interested, and I think one of the unique things about college football are the personalities present within that space. Who is one of your favorite personalities in college football that maybe f- folks aren't as attuned to?
0: Mm. Oh, that's a good one. So Kirby Smart, I would say... I think people don't realize how funny he is because mm-hmm. he's kind of turned into more of like serious Kirby Smart, but he's really <laughs> funny guy, really funny yeah. So I will I will say that. Um, I would also say that if you if you kind of look across you know, just the SEC in general, Brian Kelly is really entertaining. And Mm -hmm. I know he got so much uh, people made so fun of him for when he did the family thing. Um, (laughs) and and He's like made fun of himself since, which is great. But I actually see why he does really well recruiting just in talking to him and his personality. Um, I think he's going to continue to grow, especially with the relevance of LSU this year. I expect them to be just as good as the coaches poll thinks they're going to be, you know, being a top five team and, Um, potentially contending for a national championship if all things go well for them it's going to be hard but I I think potentially they're they're right there we'll see and you know when you think about the relevance that he's brought to that program once again after being a national championship team a lot of that is his personality and it's a mix of like serious and entertaining which is important in today's college football and then maybe outside the sec i think ryan day probably doesn't get enough credit because just the brand of ohio state is so Mm -hmm. big and it kind of takes on its own persona but he's a really interesting guy he's a very thoughtful coach very thoughtful person um big family guy but really has, I think, a lot more personality than he ever shows and a lot of like kindness to him. He really cares about people. He cares about his players, certainly, but he cares about people, I think, across the board in college football. He's one of those coaches that I think is an ally to other coaches, too. Um, and then I guess I just finish up with Nick Saban, who everyone's always interested in. I personally have had great dealings with Coach Saban over the years, and I think he Uh, He's another one that is one of the funniest that you're going to run into. And people do not see that because everyone thinks, oh, he's big, bad coach Saban. He's so much fun. He's hilarious. Very quick witted, very dry sense of humor. Um, A little bit more has started to show over the last couple of years, I think. But, um, you know, certainly a a guy that I I still think no matter what Alabama does, a lot of people are going to care what Nick Saban says and does. and, And that's a credit to his personality and his persona.
1: Coach Saban has one of my favorite stories of all time. It's been, it's made the rounds around the internet. I don't know what function he was speaking at, but it's when he tells the story about going back home with Miss Terry for like their reunion, and like her high school crush is now the gas station owner. Yeah, it is like one of my all-time favorite stories ever, and uh, he just plays it so well. I, I love Coach Saban, and this is one of the the battles we always have within our fan base. It's like if you don't like Coach Saban, it's just because you're being hateful. Like, how can you not love a winner and what he's done from a sustained excellence perspective and all these things? And like every time I hear him speak, I'm ready to just run through a wall like he's just that type of leader. And that's the follow up point I wanted to know about your interactions with Kirby. Our impression is that whether or not it's the head coach of Georgia football or some other post within the football world, Kirby, just from a pure leadership perspective and personality perspective and people perspective, could lead Coca Cola, or whatever yeah. organization it may be, is that is that feel right, or or um, are, are we off on that?
0: No, one hundred percent correct. I mean, he he was born to be a leader. He's born to be a motivator. Um, you know, it's funny. I was reading some stuff today about how uh, people who are out at Georgia practice are talking about how Kirby's, you know, on his mic and he's he's not being very nice on the mic and all that. And, and the mic is funny. If if you've ever been to a Georgia practice, you literally can't hear anything else except Kirby like, no, that was terrible. What what were you guys doing? You know, come on and, and calling people out and whatever. And I, I think what people miss about some of that is on its surface it seems like, golly, this guy's really hard and he's he's, you know, expecting all this and um It's more that he expects greatness out of people because he knows they can achieve it, which I Mm -hmm. I think is an incredible mark of a leader because if you're going to motivate somebody and make it real motivation, it's not just lip service where you're like, well, I'm supposed to be saying this to – be a motivator he actually believes that these players can be these great versions of themselves and um, you know one of the things that I think is interesting that I always go back to I mean there have been so many examples of him being a great leader even before he got to Georgia or got back to Georgia as a coach but there was a situation I was on the sideline for um, the Peach Bowl covering Georgia this year and the semifinal game which of course we all know that game was Nuts. And Ohio State at times should have won the game and didn't. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it due to, I believe, the grit of Stetson Bennett and the way that that Georgia team just – had no quit in them. They, they weren't going to lose the national championship. They had to win it. You know, it was just that that was their mission. Um, the tone set by Kirby smart, but one, one of the most interesting things that happened, and and this was public because at halftime, I asked Kirby what he had just said to Stetson Bennett. Cause I saw them talking off to the side. So as he's going to the locker room, I asked him and he basically said something to the effect of, look, if we're going to win this game, I need more out of you. And, and mm-hmm. Stetson would admit not a great game for him, especially in the first half. um, and I thought even in that moment, you know, he was very honest about it. Well, then throughout the second half, I'm on the sideline watching this. Kirby would continually go up to Stetson and say, I need more out of you. I need you to be better. I need this. I need that. We know enough about Stetson Bennett to know that he responds well to that type of leadership and that type mm-hmm. of coach, and, and he wanted to put the team on his back finally and make enough plays in the game and, and was able to do that. Um, but I think one of the things that makes Kirby so unique is – He knows, like, that's what Stetson Bennett needs out of him. Another player, different. The way he would motivate a Jalen Carter, totally different. A Darnell Washington, totally different. and, And he's able to, while having sort of, this is the same philosophy that we all subscribe to, there is individual motivation to each player that really matters and makes a difference for that player and ultimately leads to winning games.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite clips from the season last year was pregame against Tennessee. Uh, there's a clip of Kirby going up to Arian Smith, who had battled injuries the first two years, world-class speed, you know, a track guy. And he kind of gets down in his ear and he says, look, Arian, you're made for this. you prepared for this. When you get your shot, it's all you. They can't stay with you. And I thought watching that, you know, and that – he became prophetic because that's exactly what happened during that game. They take the big shot, he it. hits it. But I thought as the player, right, or as the person that's involved in the organization, how great does that make you feel to have your general come up to you and say, I believe in you. This, You're yeah. made for this moment and you're going to do it. And I just think that gets discounted a little bit in what has happened within that program is what, um, what they have built from a culture perspective and from an affirmative perspective with, with the players and the people in that program. So, yeah, so I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. All right, last question for you today. What is the moment that you've had thus far in your career, whether it be covering a game, um, whether it's somebody you interviewed, whatever it may be, where amidst the moment you went, I'm here. Like, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is, this is a dream. And and kind kind of felt that in the moment.
0: Yeah. um, So it's funny because I feel like I I don't usually let myself feel that in the moment because I'm always like, oh, you know, I'm not deserving of this or maybe I shouldn't be here. And and I I do battle a lot of self-doubt. But there have been a few times when I've tried to say, like, okay, at some point, this is all going to be over. And you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I would have enjoyed some of this or appreciated it in the moment. So um, one that does stick out to me was the first year. So this would have been, I guess, in 2017, I think, if I'm right, or 2018, one of of those two years. But it was Alabama and Clemson in a college football playoff semifinal um, in New Orleans. And so it was the Sugar Bowl and I, that was the first time I got a chance to be on the sideline of one of these games. So I was on the Alabama sideline and, you know, just, I mean, by far the biggest opportunity I had ever had. And I had been so nervous and and I still deal with a lot of nerves and that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> but I, I really, I was so nervous and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to just. Mess up because I'm so nervous, you know. And I had to go interview Coach Saban pre-kick, and then like run back to the sideline and the whole thing. And so I had gotten through that, and then the anthem was playing. And I remember just kind of looking around, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm here! Like I am holding a microphone that's going out to 11 plus million people. That just like it just all sort of hit me. And I had I, I let myself have like the quick moment, got yeah. the chill bumps, did the whole thing, and then I was like, "All right." back to work. <laughs> 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 We're not going to live in that world too long. But, um, you know, I, I just think it—it it is something that I will never take for granted to, to have these opportunities. And I think back on, you know, even just being in my early 20s in college and realizing that this was what I wanted to do with my life and and for my career and really I thought if I could just be like the local radio sideline reporter I would be so happy that was that was just what I wanted and I thought if I could just reach that dream so all of this is is so far beyond anything I would have ever imagined and um you know, it's just funny to me. I'm like, if anyone wants to do a podcast or have me on or something, I'm like, me? You know, thanks. That's so <laughs> cool. I, I would never have thought that. And and I, I hope that people know um, – how thankful I am for it because I I do know that there are so many out there who are, who are trying to get jobs like this and who are um, looking for their spot and who are looking for their path. And I I would just say that it's there and you're going to find it and it's not going to be the path you thought you were going to take and you're (laughs) going to look back and say, how did I get here? You know, but um, that's been, I think one of, you know, with a little bit more perspective that I have now, that's been one of the most beautiful parts of all this is being able to sort of look back and appreciate all the steps it took to get somewhere that I didn't even realize I was going.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for spending time with us today to share your story. And before we let you go, tell our listeners how they can support you and uh, any way they can.
0: Yeah. I mean, geez, I just, you know, I love to interact with people. So, uh, find me on Twitter. It's just Laura Rutledge on Twitter. And, um, I I got a threads, but I don't know. I hadn't been doing that very much. I I knew I was like, what am I doing? Getting a thread with (laughs) threads thread. I don't know. Uh, with a, a newborn and a toddler and like all the other stuff I got going on, but I have that. And then Instagram, but you know, anytime if, if you just, want to reach out or chat or a uh, word of encouragement, whatever I usually will eventually get to all my DMS and I try to respond to people. Um, definitely on Twitter too. I, I love interacting with fans. Even if you don't like me or you, you are mad at me about something, that's okay too. Just um, <laughs> love to talk to you guys and, and hear from you. So um, I'd love to hear from some people too. And just, uh, and, and also guys continue to support this podcast. This is a great one. So um we want to continue to promote the podcast that have really good people and are putting out really good info. So that, that would be the other thing I would say you can do.
1: Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. So we certainly appreciate that. (laughs) We'll take that every turn we can get for sure. Well, look, we, uh, it's been evident today and it's been evident watching you on TV that you have just an innately beautiful spirit. And so thank you for sharing your story with us and we know you will continue to be successful and do great things. So uh, we will continue to to watch and support and please let us know if there's ever anything we can, we can do as well. So thank you so much, Laura.
0: Thank you. Hey George is better now.